being a Christ follower can be really hard. Now, don't get me wrong. It is the greatest joy that there is to understand that he who created you wants to be in a relationship, wants to be able to talk with you and listen to you and and connect up with you like there is no greater joy. To know that you have a purpose, okay, to be loved by him and to love him, to be in connection with him and others who are like-minded following after the same goal. You're never truly alone. Even this idea of being able to have a confidence, not necessarily of I know exactly what's going to happen on Sunday or Monday or this week, but you have a confidence that God will be holding on to you the entire time and take you to his heavenly kingdom in the end. Like there is no greater joy than being a Christ follower. But man, sometimes being a Christian can be really hard. Like even if we just step back and kind of look at this idea of someone who's not a believer, how is it that they look at you? For some people, they're like, you know what? It's okay. You believe whatever you want. There are other people that look at you and say, you believe what? Like, you really believe that stuff. That's kind of crazy, outdated, those kind of things. Then there's other people who in their life have been hurt by someone who wore the name Christian. And so for you to even have a relationship with them, you almost have to tear down some walls that have been built up. And man, that can be very difficult. And so sometimes being a Christ follower can be very difficult. Or sometimes if we look at just following Jesus himself and the teachings that he had were completely revolutionary, that life is not about you. Like it's not about me. He calls us to love and to serve and to forgive. You know what? There are times I do not want to do that. I bet there are times you don't either that in this moment, I don't want to do those things. And yet Jesus says, this is what it means to follow after me. Or there's this little thing called sin, all right, that even after we choose Jesus, sometimes there are those moments that, oh, this looks really appealing. And so the sin nature is like trying to grab and tell you, this is what you need to do, while the spirit is shouting out, no, this is what you need to do. And there are those battles inside that you feel trying to make a decision. And sometimes being a Christian can be really hard. Or let's look at the church not just South Rock, but like Big C Church. Sometimes within the church, there are these things that kind of start creeping in, maybe such as legalism. Things that have been built on things of the past, things that were even scripture, or then we made extra rules to help ourselves be able to keep those things. The problem is we've elevated those rules to the same level as Jesus. And so you have to do those things. Otherwise, I don't know that you're saved. But when I look at scripture, I see that it's all about believing in Jesus and following after him. And some might even say, well, you don't really need that second part. It's all about believing in Jesus. I say this one verse that says that, okay? But I also see another verse that tells me that demons believe and they're not following. So we're not saved by our following, but our following is the fruit. It shows you that really we are believing. It's more than just words that we're saying with our mouth. And so we have to be cautious that we're following Jesus and not just legalism. But on the flip side of the pendulum, the church also has to be careful because sometimes there's things that creep in kind of from the outside world. Like, and they don't even all have to be anti-Jesus. And be like, you know what, Jesus, he's good. You can follow him. You can love him. But let's also take away some of the things he said because in our culture, that doesn't really, you know, jive anymore. Let's add some things. He said this, but now let's add these things. And if you have Jesus plus or minus some of those things, then you have everything you need. And if we're not careful, these ideas can begin to shape our thinking and our actions. Being a Christian can be really hard. 
And everything I just told you is 100% true, but I did not tell you those things from the viewpoint of a 21st century person living in Kansas. Everything I just said was from the viewpoint of a Christ follower living in the city of Colossae during the first century although it sounded very similar. Like to say that the Bible is just an old book or it doesn't mean anything for us today, it's outdated, and it is not very hard to counter those points. Yes, it's true that the words, some of them are thousands of years old, but that doesn't make it outdated or unimportant for us today. And sometimes I think when we read scripture, we think, man, if I could have just been there physically to follow after Jesus, like to see everything with my own eyes, that would have made things simple. Or we think about if I could have been part of the early church, like they wouldn't have had to deal with all the traditions that we have to deal with or all the struggles that we have today. But the truth is, if we view scripture in that light, we're really looking through these rose-colored glasses. Everything wasn't perfect. And so since we're starting a series looking at the book of Colossians, we decided that we should spend some time looking at the context of the book and how that would be helpful. Because if I simply asked, hey, what do you know about the book of Colossians? Some of you might be able to tell you, tell us a whole lot of things. Some of you might be like, I think it's a book in the Bible somewhere. Like, that's what you know. I remember back when uh, Sam and Henry were our interns, uh, there was something important that I learned. I learned the order of like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, because did you know that God eats popcorn? G-E-P-C, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And so forever, I will remember those four just because of that. I can also tell you, there's a few deeper things that I learned back when I was at Bible college about Colossians, but maybe you've been like me before and you've had a test and you kind of crammed for it, and then some of those things left your mind afterwards, or you really did learn some things, but it's been like a day or two or 20 years, and so you don't remember everything anymore. And so like even sitting down this week and looking at the context of this book was really helpful for me. And so let me share with you just some context of the book of Colossians. This book that is Colossians in our Bible was actually a letter written to the church of Colossae. Now, Colossae, it was the smallest of the cities that Paul wrote a letter to that we know of, all right? Now, Colossae was also close to the city called Laodicea. They were only 11 miles apart. Maybe you've heard of that. There's also another city called Hierapolis that was 13 miles apart. So those three cities were pretty close to one another, except Laodicea and Hierapolis, they began to grow a lot more than Colossae because the trade route moved. It no longer went through Colossae, and so they saw their population decrease. This letter that was written was most likely written between 60 and 62 AD by Paul when he was under house arrest near the end of his life. At the very end of Acts, you read about how for two years he was here, and he continued writing and encouraging. Most likely, that's when this letter was written. One fact that can't be proven, but most people agree with it, is that Paul did not start the church in Colossae. In fact, it's likely that he never even physically visited it. It seems that the church might have been started under someone named Epaphras, who lived in Colossae. We see a couple references to him in the letter. It's also extremely possible that when Paul was on his third missionary journey, he encountered Epaphras. Because you see, Paul was in Ephesus, which is about 100 miles away from Colossae, for a total of three years in that stint. And in the book of Acts, it kind of tells us about the result of that ministry, specifically a couple years when he was teaching in the lecture hall. And so Acts 19.10 tells us this, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia 
heard the word of the Lord. And so this teaching, it spread from Ephesus, probably to include Colossae at that time. Here's the question. If Colossae is such a small city, and Paul never actually visited there, why would he write them a letter? Like, why would he take the time to do this? And the answer is because he heard something that was very concerning to him about what was going on within the church. You see, Epaphras had visited him in prison, and he told him about the struggles, and so Paul writes to address these specific struggles. And it's referred to as the Colossian heresy, the Colossian heresy. Now, we can't tell you 100% what was all involved in that because it's never spelled out for us because the people there in Colossae would have completely understood. But you can take enough pieces and evidence to put it together to go, this is what at least some of the issues of this Colossian heresy were. You see, they took Jesus and their belief in him. They mixed in some Jewish tradition and some pagan philosophies. The city, it was full of Jewish and Phrygian and Greek settlers. And so some of the Jewish practices of the church were still being forced. Like you have to have a specific diet. You have to observe certain sacred days. Circumcision, you still need that to be saved. Then there were all these other believers, new believers from these other religions that basically they just added Jesus to their set of deities, their set of gods that they worshiped. And so, okay, we like Jesus. We'll begin worshiping him with the other gods that they worshiped as well. Or they liked Jesus and they used him to pursue gaining wisdom and knowledge to an unhealthy importance, like knowledge, this is what makes everything. Or there are some people that were worshiping these angelic beings or these spirit mediators. And Paul writes, he says, any of these views of thought is a compromise to Jesus himself. He claims throughout the letter that these thoughts, they're hollow, they're deceitful, they're humanistic, they're superficially spiritual, they're arrogant. And he says, they have no power against the struggles that you go through. But not only does Paul point out the negative, he then points out what they should be putting their faith in, or actually who they should be putting their faith in. That's Jesus. His answer simply is, Jesus is enough. In fact, the whole book of Colossians has been divided into 95 verses for us. And I read it multiple times this week, and within those verses, there are at least 59 instances that refer to Jesus himself. I underlined every single one of them. And I say at least because there are some others that say Lord or Master that might refer to Jesus or might refer to God as a whole. But Paul is telling the church in Colossae that Jesus is not a stepping stone. It's not Jesus plus some actions. It's not Jesus plus some knowledge. It's not Jesus plus someone else. It's Jesus who saves and place your faith in him. And then the last part of his letter shows, and as you follow him, this is what a life looks like of following after Jesus. The pressure that the Colossae church was feeling is needing more, more, more. And that sounds a little bit like our world too. Like we're a people that we constantly want something new, something more. We want the most out of life. We want to make a difference. We want to be completely healed. We want to be completely whole. But in this letter, we're going to see that you don't need more of what you don't have to be happy. If you are a Christ follower, what you need more of is what you already have. And that's Jesus. Christ, he is above all. 
He is central and supreme in creation, that which we can see and that which we can't see. He is central and supreme in revelation, in redemption, and the church. And we can have new life in Christ. We can experience the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the presence of Jesus. Paul writes, stay the course. Stay the course. Focus on Jesus. And this message is one that the church of Colossae needed to hear. And I would argue the church of today also needs to hear. And so as we begin this series, I want you to hear the letter of Colossians in its entirety. Like so often we break down verses to study it, which we're going to do. But I want you to hear the letter without chapter divisions, without verse divisions, without subheadings. And maybe you'll see some connections. Maybe you'll hear some themes throughout the letter that you never have before. If you want to read along in your Bible, you can feel free to do that. But if this week you're like, I simply want to sit here and listen, like place myself as one of the earlier listeners of the Church of Colossae and what this would have meant for me, or because it's so similar, maybe you're listening to the letter as it applies to you today, feel free to do that. If you simply want to close your eyes to be able to let it sink in, you can do that too. Just don't snore. No one around you would like that. And I get it. We're talking 95 verses. This seems a little bit long. But can I tell you, we don't come to church for entertainment. We're going to let God's word speak to us as we listen to his letter together. And so, here is the original letter to the Colossians written by Paul, inspired by God. Paulos apostolos, Jesu Christu, diathelematos dao kai, Timotheos ha adelphus. That's verse one. And I'm going to stop there. Because if I tried to read 94 verses in Greek, it would like be butchered immensely. And it probably wouldn't mean a whole lot to you. But instead, we're going to read. I'm going to read from the NIV. And so again, if you're reading a different version, that's totally good. But listen to this letter in English. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love you have for all God's people, the faith and the love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit. It is growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, 
things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things are being created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, oh, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles his glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are Uh, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, Continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority in Him. You were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. 
So therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or what regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with this idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teaching. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences. So since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord 
as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. And there is no favoritism. Masters, provide for your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it as clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. I don't know, just listening to the text, were there certain words that jumped out to you? Were there themes that jumped out to you? Maybe there's things if I need to focus on this, maybe I need to get rid of this. Maybe it's just simply Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And may today, for us as individuals, for us as a church, Jesus still be enough. May he be the one that we continually lean upon. May he be the one that people see through our words and our actions, not just when we meet together here, but every day in between. Let's pray. Father, we just listened to your word, and we're going to be diving into it over the next few weeks and breaking it down. God, I am thankful. I am thankful for Jesus who died, who brought us back to you. God, who made a way. I am thankful for your spirit that continues to guide us and that we don't need all these other theories or things outside, that you are enough. So God, I pray that you'd help us to have wisdom to seek you. God, help us as we meet together to encourage one another, uh, God, to do this uh, as a family. Father, I pray that then our words and our actions are seasoned with salt and we're able to answer questions about what we believe. It's not just so that we can be right, but it really is so that the kingdom can advance. God, it's so that lives can change. 
I'm praying for those that heard today for the first time and maybe there's some things about what life is like without you and what it was like before we chose you. And so I'm praying for hearts to be opened up to choose you as their savior. God, I'm praying for those who are still relatively new believers, God, not to be uh, knocked around by the waves, but to be able to hang on to truth. Father, for those of us who have been believers for a long time, may we not just get stuck in a rut and take you for granted. God, I pray that we continually seek you in all that we do. So I'm thankful for today, and I pray that you'd continue to open our hearts and minds as we draw close to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.